Hey there, demons. It's us, two girls. Welcome to the Office Goblin Podcast. I'm S. And I'm D. And we are goblins. Two goblins on the internet that have many thoughts, interests, and opinions about stuff and things. I put on my bra and pants today, <laughs> so I'm not in an existential crisis mode. I <laughs> I feel like putting on a bra and pants puts me in existential crisis mode. Oh, the the oppressive leg jail and the boob jail? Yes. I don't I don't understand why it has been so many decades and yet the creation of the bra has not changed and yet the comfort and discomfort, I I guess I should say, has remained. You know what, to be fair, our situations are a little bit different. Um, <laughs> you are a bustier gal. So, you know, you need more support, right? It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and for me, I'm just like, it's whatever. <laughs> and and it's, it's easy toting around what I got, okay? Yeah, I cannot go outside without a bra in public uh-huh. uh, without being... Like, aware that I'm not wearing a bra in public. Mmm. Party hats. <laughs> oh, my God. No, but to be fair, apropos party hats, the early bras that look like that. Oh, the points? Yeah, the points. I mean, the only time that is acceptable is Madonna in the early days when she had that really awesome... Cone bra. Uh, cone bra leotard situation going on. I mean, yeah. that was happening. That was a mood. But... <laughs> Otherwise, for day-to-day life, why would you, especially if, let's say, one did have more up top to stuff, like, monster mash your titties to fit the shape (laughs) of this bra, which I imagine the material was not comfortable. No. Even if there were less synthetic materials out in the market in those days, I imagine it was just a nightmare. Listen... Titties are not like cats. They are not like water. They do not just fill whatever space. Like, there is mass to them, and they can't just be arranged in the way you want without, I don't know, some kind of, like, security measure put in place so they don't move. Yes, yeah. What is the Fort Knox for our (laughs) heavier topped individuals? When you first said, like, cats, I was like, where is she going with this? (laughs) Like, how cats are, are... Often compared yeah. to liquid because they fit in anything. They are, yeah. Once the head goes through, they can fit in pretty much anywhere. The Fort Knox of titties. I can't. <laughs> Sorry, you that's know. really got me going. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, I had a um, a friend and um, boss who was just when we were on track and on schedule with our tasks. They would always say, let's work, so this is all titties. Okay, and where did that come from? I don't know, but we were like, (laughs) yeah, titties, for sure. Let's make it titties. As opposed to tits up, you know? That's, okay, if it's an opposite of tits up, then that makes sense. And for those of you who are either not American or have no idea what we're talking about, tits up is often means things went badly. Why do you, where do you think that came from? Like, I'm sure it's somewhere on the interweb in the deep, murky depths, but it's such a weird thing, right? It's not like penis up. (laughs) Ten bucks says it's from like Texas or something, right? It's some weird Uh, southern thing that someone came up with. And we've just 
used it till this day, but I have no idea where it comes from. <laughs> but tits up isn't God fearing, so I'm kind of surprised if it were from the South. You All know right. what I mean? All right. Okay. Well, existential crisis <laughs> is the topic of today's conversation. How the fuck did we get here? Because I went on a real tear and I waste no time doing it. Oh my god. But yes, we yeah. wanted to go over existential crisis. Oh, it originated in the Royal Navy. Like the British Royal Navy? Yeah. You know what? I did hear some uh, Colin Firth's character say tits up, I think, in Kingsman, so... Okay, it says the common consensus was that it originated in the Royal Navy. Its use meant complete failure... And was ascribed to drowned female bodies floating tits up, whereas male bodies float face down. I don't know how accurately that is, like, scientifically, but that's what I'm reading. Oh, man. <laughs> Anywho, let's make sure this episode doesn't go tits up. I'm done with the internet for today. <laughs> and having two ears. You, okay, so so crises. We're talking <laughs> crises. about crisis that we experience, we humans experience either throughout our lives or at the end of our lives. Whatever it may be, S and I don't really have a plan for today, so let the ADHD <laughs> run wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Titties forward, <laughs> running rampant. <laughs> the beacons. But... I guess we can start the conversation in when was your first remembered earliest existential crisis and what was it about? Oh, no. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> I, shit, I don't know. I, the one that's most clear to me is when I 100% had a quarter life crisis, which mm. is... After I graduated grad school, you know, my husband and I moved, we were trying to start our lives, and I had no idea what I was doing. I had, it was my first time in the real world, quote unquote, mm -hmm. outside of school. I didn't have another school year coming up anytime soon, and I hopefully never will. And I was just drowning. I was absolutely drowning, trying to figure out what am I doing next with my life? You know, I mm -hmm. am applying to all of these jobs. I'm not hearing back from anyone. I have a master's degree in psychology and no prospects, basically. And mm -hmm. I I will be safe to say that I had a bit of a meltdown at that point in my life. Which I think, in summary, all those factors, totally. <laughs> right? I mean, this was 2016. And so, I mean, nothing... Nothing too terrible was happening, or maybe there was. The last, like, eight years of life have just melded together, and I can't tease apart much. Was it to do with the occupational piece, with finding kind of your space in this quote-unquote real world, adult world, changes, or any combination of those things at once? I think it was mostly I didn't know who I was. Okay. I uh -huh. I had had my entire life depended on academia and 
academic success and, Mm -hmm. you know, this whole driving factor of what I was working towards had an end goal. Mm -hmm. And no one prepares you for when it's done. You know, most of Mm -hmm. us, I feel like we're pushed into college because if you get a college degree, you're going to find a better job easier and then you're going to be able to live life to the fullest. And it's like, and now I'm saddled with debt. What the fuck am I supposed to do with this? So Mm -hmm. I lost, you know, what at the time I deemed was my life purpose. I lost who I was. I had no next step. I was just free falling mentally for Mm -hmm. a solid six months, basically. Sure, sure. I think it's very common now, certainly for young people nearing possibly the middle of their high school career, Mm -hmm. definitely for college age, undergraduate, graduate level individuals, since I know there's people of various ages going back to school and whatnot. And even for adults who have been working for a while, with the job market being as weird and volatile as it is, Mm -hmm. like you said, you can be so accomplished and quote unquote, do the right things, get good grades. Because really, you know, it's a lot of type A personalities who I think pursue post-secondary education. Mm-hmm. And you could have been the top of your class and always high achieving. And what happens when you can't get that job, even if you do have an exceptional resume or CV or accomplishments, publish, uh, publish you know, articles or whatever it may be under your belt. And yet it doesn't feel like it's enough. And then you start to question, well, did I pick the right field? Did I apply to the right job? And then start nitpicking the finer details of, oh, God, well, what if everything that I wrote was wrong in this application letter or what I focused on, what I thought was important isn't necessarily what this company values and blah, blah, blah. And it's like you said, the the toilet bowl, that spiral. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my... So it wasn't 2016, it was 2018 is when I graduated with my um, master's degree. And Mm -hmm. that summer, I actually traveled to a really big conference. And I was invited to the conference to talk about my senior, or my, not my senior, but you know, my master's thesis, you know, what Mm -hmm. I'd done my research on. And when I got there, found out that I was the only master's student there, Everyone else had PhDs, and most everyone else was – they were professors. They were actually professors in labs. And I was one of the only students, but I was the only master's student, not PhD student. Can I ask – I'm sorry to cut in, but the doctorate-level people, were they our age? Were they older? What was the age band there? I would say they were – the younger few were closer to our age at the time – Mm-hmm. Most probably were in their later 20s, if not earlier 30s, if I remember correctly. Okay. But, you know, I had a pretty good turnout of people who came to my little corner room when mm-hmm. I was presenting. And I had a couple of people ask, you know, really good, intriguing questions about my research. And individuals were excited or at least interested in it. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was the summer after I graduated. And I had no plans to continue it. And so I also kind of have that feeling of I didn't continue my work, you know, is that what, what, should I have continued? Should I have gone on to my PhD program? But 
I also knew at the time I was so, so burnt out from school at that point in life. I mean, people say they're burnt out. I, I was road tar. Okay. I was so burnt out. I was done. And so I, it's like, yeah, I'd like to get back into it, but also at the same time, it's been five years and I'm sure that there has been a lot more either progress made or, or new studies. And I just let the next folks pick it up. I have my research out there. And if anyone ever uses it in their own stuff and, you know, it helps continue somewhere down the road, then that's great. But I, I I can't get back into it. I'm too, it's not that I can't, I don't want to. I see. But you know what? I think that's fine in my field that I ended up getting a graduate degree in because the order of things is you get a master's degree after one year and then two more years, one of which is still full-time classroom while you're doing your practicum and then a full year of internship, right? And Mm -hmm. then you get that other degree. So it's between a master's and a doctorate. And it was typically that the doctorate level folks and my program were together during the first year. And during the second year, the split happened where they focus more on stats classes and things to do with research, you know, in pursuing their PhD. And I'll be honest with you. Yes, you had three extra years, but it's not something I was interested in personally to get a doctorate. Like, Titles mean shit to me because you can have <laughs> all these titles, but still be the biggest buffoon ever. Yeah. You know, in your behavior towards others and the level of self-importance that some people just ascribe to themselves through these accomplishments. And I wasn't interested in the research piece. I'm going to leave the research to the research oriented folks. I like the teaching piece, maybe at university level. Mm-hmm. But I also noticed that so many people in that kind of setting, didn't have experience applying what they learned in the real world. Oh. And went straight into, let's say, teaching in university and doing research. Yeah. So sometimes it was so much easier to say one thing, but then not do it. Yeah. You know? Um, And at times, I remember my classmates and I, like, they really instilled instilled the fear of God, like it was life or death situations, which, yes, we would be making important choices for the individuals we worked with, but theory and application ended up being so different. But I just remember how scared shitless we all were in fear of making any kind of error. And, you know, all of us were type A's. (laughs) So already, you know, the pressure that we put on ourselves Right. Was just, yeah, through the roof. So it's something that I don't regret and something like you that I just don't want to (laughs) do. Yeah. And I think that that is something that not enough people are are saying. Because once Mm -hmm. you get your your master's or your postdoc, your your next level, I guess, like past just an undergrad degree, it's like you're expected to be something. And I'm like, mm. but I don't want to be something. I just want or to that's exist. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's so hard to say what that something is, right? Nowadays, 
you can get a degree and end up doing something totally different altogether, mm-hmm. which is what both you and I are doing. <laughs> and I think, yes, our experiences do lend themselves, so they do tie in in some way. Right. Because ours is such a field, you know, with psychology, that's that's just everywhere. That is anywhere oh, and everywhere at any given time. All behavior serves a function where, like, we're watching you and we see you. <laughs> We know. Um, But I'm perfectly content with my decision. Oh, absolutely. Now, now I am. I feel like I really need to put that caveat because at the time I was, I was going through it mentally. But Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it, it was a really scary time for me mentally. And I'm very happy with where I am now. I'm very happy that I was able to get the help that I needed and get through that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I still have days where I get experience some regret about getting a master's degree and then don't use it. But I, I go to a therapist and I brought that up the other day and my therapist said, anytime you are getting education is not time wasted. Preach. And that is just something I needed. And it's funny how you mentioned, you know, if we're using it in our day-to-day lives. And I absolutely use my degree every day of my life. I absolutely use psychology. My thesis, for anyone who's interested, is about role boundary theory, which is this Mm -hmm. idea that what are the mental and physical boundaries you draw between the different roles you have in your life. So between work between personal life, and then between mother, father, daughter, son, whatever, right? How do you balance all of these roles that you play in your life? And boy, do I do that every day. (laughs) Do you, but when you say that, is it in the sense of there is no clear delineation between each of those facets of yourself or there wasn't at one point in time and now you're getting better at managing those different pieces of the pie? Yeah. Yeah. When I was younger, I everything happened at once, constantly. And mm. I, to this day, still struggle with getting true rest where I'm not thinking about what I have to do tomorrow, what I have to do this evening. But I am much better at especially when it comes to work. When I am off the clock, I am off the clock. And I make that very clear to anyone I've ever come across when I'm starting a new job. What are your ideas of boundary here? Because I'm gonna tell you right now, when my time is up, I am not answering my goddamn phone. And And I know that that is not available to all positions. I get that. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some people, though, that thrive in that chaos, and I used to think I did, and then realized that was an anxiety disorder for me personally. (laughs) The surprise anxiety disorder. (laughs) Surprise! Uh, You're not supposed to feel this way all the time, so (laughs) I am not. Yeah, this isn't bad boundaries, this is mental illness. (laughs) (laughs) That hurts. Um (laughs) I mean... Speaking for myself, but I'm just like with one anxiety riddled individual to another. <laughs> so yeah, I I very quickly found out uh, when I was in a place that I was allowed to be safe, 
and mm-hmm. and have things slow down that I was not enjoying having everything happen all at once. I do so much better with very clear and defined boundaries. And so mm-hmm. now I have that in my life and I'm doing so much better for it. <laughs> sure, sure. I I think especially as people who continued on with school and the path in our mind seemed so linear mm-hmm. about, well, you graduate from high school, then you go to college, you graduate from college, and then you go to graduate school. And then when you graduate from that, you're supposed to get a job and you stay there until retirement and <laughs> feel immense feelings of uh, success and happiness and fulfillment and all that you do. Amen. Oh, um, yeah. And f- I think for both of us, it's fair to say and correct me if I'm wrong, that was not the case. <laughs> I remember being in my grad program and just like talking to another friend from the cohort and both of us just saying, you know what, this we know this isn't going to be our job until retirement. And mm. I remember during internship, it was a whole year worth of imposter syndrome. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, a feeling that I didn't deserve to be there. No, And so I would show up two hours early, work at home, like, you know, just like, I guess you can call it overcompensating, right? To show like, I'm good enough. I deserve to be here. Oh, yeah. And then my first year of work, I would go to sleep around 3 or 4 a.m., show up two hours early to work, and then work at home as well. And by that end of the first year, I was so over it and so burnt out, Mm -hmm. I my brain like was non-existent. It felt like it had melted out of my skull a long time ago. (laughs) And I remember going in back for my second year and was just like, you know what? When I'm off the clock, I'm off the clock. I know people here don't respect my time or my work either. Mm -hmm. You know, calling things for what they are, the egos in the room and stuff like that. And not to say I was bad with my boundaries the first year. It was just the pressure I put on myself Right. Especially first year of professional practice post-schooling. Mm-hmm. Now degrees in hand, ready to hit the road and make change for the better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, like the aspirational things, which like you need that kind of energy, you know, to feel like you can do something positive. But I think when it's your singular motivating factor, right. like you as this one entity, of course, it all starts with one person, but... I guess I was naive in that sense. So I got my learn the hard way, got my bearings, yeah. and then came in giving zero shits <laughs> and was all the better for it. <laughs> so would you say that your first kind of crisis moment was similar to mine? Like that is your defining moment of I am going through an existential crisis? Or do you have one at a different time? I hit my <laughs> I hit my stride very early in life, so it was probably my late teens. Oh yeah, yeah. Because it was a matter of I'm interested in so many things. Oh yeah, and I worry that the things I'm interested in are the things that I was constantly told would not make me any money. Uh, yeah, you know. So don't even think about pursuing that. Keep it as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And who am I? What are my ro- values, what do I really want to pursue so I can make my education meaningful when I finally go to college. Mm -hmm. 
because I know I wanted to go. It was just a matter of how do I focus my studies and myself mm-hmm. and also just, again, finding myself as a person of what are my boundaries? What are my values? What are my morals? And that's self-esteem bit that for a long time was lacking because I was always taught to put everyone else before myself. Mm -hmm. I was at the very bottom of the barrel. I was the sludge at the bottom of the barrel because everyone's needs were first to mine and was supposed to be that way because like, oh, you, let's say, have this chance to do it. Yeah, well, because I worked for it. So why do I feel bad about it, you know? But it took me a long time to get over that. And now I'm over that hump completely. So I'm I'm floating at the top of the barrel. I'm having a good time. Hell yeah. Tits, tits up at the top of the barrel. <laughs> you know? Tits up and tits out. <laughs> yes. God bless America. But it was, you know, a roller coaster. It was a real roller coaster. So it took a good decade if not a little bit over that, almost two. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know what? I learned the lessons that so many people start in middle age <laughs> about caring less and stuff like that. So I feel at the top of the world, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I I had something some like similar. So when I was younger, huge people pleaser, right? Like mm-hmm. wanted to make sure everyone was good. Wanted to make sure, always put myself last. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And senior year of high school rolled around and we'll just politely graze over it as some shit happened. And I realized that no one's going to put me first except me. Yes. And went, oh, well, then fuck all of you. Like, that was my going into undergrad, my idea of fuck all of you then. I'm going to do it because I deserve it. Mm -hmm. And I applied to the university I went to for... Musical performance. That's cool. I wanted to be a professional singer. No idea how that was going to happen. And when I think I think it might have been two months, if that, a month out of the day of first classes, and realized I don't know if this is going to work because I can't read music. <laughs> but you know what? The fact that you were interested in something. You liked it enough to take the chance and want to pursue it, whether it's musical performance, whether it's biochem, whatever it may have been, anything in between that. The fact that you had the lady balls and went (laughs) for it, I think is really commendable because so few people in my life that I know that are so talented in different ways, especially, you know, with performing arts or, Mm -hmm. you know, expressive arts in general, And I think only, like, one or two of them are doing it as a full-time thing. Yeah. You know? So you could learn to read the notes. You can learn to read music. Yeah, maybe. I I had been taking music classes my whole life, though. And to this day, I, I have a vague understanding, obviously, of what the bars mean and where the, the dots on the bars are, right? I understand. Spitting bars, yep. You know, higher up means a higher pitch, lower is a lower pitch, whatever. But I have, I if someone's like, give me a B, I've got no idea. I, there is, your guess is better than mine. Like, 
just start like screaming and hope that it hits the pitch or the tone or whatever they need it. It's like I'm gonna start low and I'm gonna go high and you tell me when to stop. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> with the Mariah Carey hand kind of going engaging the the pitch. <laughs> right. But so, you know, I'm like, I have to have a major though. You have to have a major to continue to get classes and to keep your scholarships and whatever. But by the end of your freshman year or upon entering university? Upon entering, you have to have some kind of declared major. But the college I went to had a very cool workaround and they had a defined major as undecided. Which I I think is fair to give people in the first year you're doing the core, like, general education classes anyway. And a lot of them you do need prerequisites for the upper level classes. So I think it's really cool, though, because you could be undecided up until you wanted to graduate. Really? Yeah. Now, when you graduated, you had to have a declared major past undecided. It had to be engineering, you know, performance, English, whatever. But uh-huh. keeping it undecided allowed students to pick the courses that they wanted. Okay. Without having an advisor breathing down their back or, you know, maybe a course for this one major is only available in the fall. Mm-hmm. So they would be able to get into that without, you know, sometimes worrying if they didn't meet other prerequisites that you didn't really need, you just needed it for that major. Does that make sense? Right. But what about, a? because you know, for many different fields, you need specific courses of study in order to, you know, complete a given major because universities do create kind of a curriculum that throughout your four or however, typically four years at uni, right? Right. That you complete these courses in order to graduate with a certain major, majors, and minors. Mm-hmm. Um, so how is it that people at your undergrad were able to complete and still declare a major and complete the major upon graduating even with an undecided? So if from my understanding, it was like the last year or last semester had to be the major you were going to graduate with then. Okay, got it. So you couldn't graduate undecided. You would Mm -hmm. have to say, okay, I'm going to major then in business, even Mm -hmm. though you've been undecided the last three years. Maybe you only have like two business courses left then because you got all the other stuff out of the way just because you've been at college for so long. Yeah. This doesn't necessarily work with like engineering degrees or architectural degrees. Or (laughs) pre-med. Right. Or vet, you know, that kind of stuff. But most of the liberal arts, this worked for. Most business majors, this worked for. You know, most Mm -hmm. of the, you already take most of these classes anyways, people. Mm -hmm. So it it gave you time. So at least though for me, I think I was only undecided for one semester. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. then had a fabulous intro to psychology teacher that got me on the path to a psych degree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that that first semester, <laughs> I had this, like, psych class, sociology class, intro to theater performance class, like, just <laughs> random stuff, and had such a good time that first year of college that mm-hmm. it, it really 
I think helped transition me from the small town that I kind of grew up with to a D1 school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that school was big. Right, and... Is big. <laughs> it, it still is. And then, you know, moving on to a master's degree. But past past that, it was like, okay, well, now I'm in my 20s, my mid-20s mm-hmm. with this degree, and I have no idea what I'm doing, and most of the people I went to high school with are married with children, you know, what am I supposed to do now? Yeah, but do you think that's also kind of a symptom of the small place you grew up? And I mean, that that's a big leap to go from where you spent the majority of your life to this huge D1 school. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a high school that was larger than my university size. I went to a D3. Oh, fuck. Yeah, so it was like, I like how our paths are flip-flop there. <laughs> yeah, I went from a graduating class of like 32 to a graduating class of like 1,200. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I. but it's interesting, you know, the path that life takes you. Sometimes you just gotta, most of the time, you just gotta buckle up and go for the ride. <laughs> Honestly, it's, you're gonna spend so much time stressed out trying to control it all than just living you know what is that quote where it's the only certain thing in life is uncertainty yes yeah and we talked about that before that life is primarily that gray area most things are not black and white yeah and to me life is just like navigating social situations they're vague (laughs) and Especially if you're like me and struggle with things like sarcasm, sometimes it's real difficult out there. <laughs> it's I, a struggle. It's a struggle, bus. And let me tell you, just as an aside, but still relevant, I think. Yeah. Um, anytime someone says, I'm fluent in sarcasm, I'm like, that's a red flag. <laughs> you, you think you're being smart and witty, but you're just coming off like an asshole. <laughs> I... I feel like I had to learn sarcasm very quickly growing up because my mother is fluent in sarcasm. Um, and I love her to bits. And, you know, it, it gave me the witty uh, personality that I have today. But <laughs> but is it like sarcasm? Is it sharp, sharp humor with a point? Because some people think they're sarcastic, but none of what they say is funny. There's but they're like, just bitchy. <laughs> yeah, they're just, yeah, bitchy. <laughs> yeah, that's probably what it was. I I have a very open relationship with my mother, and a lot of people do not understand it. But we absolutely call each other bitches and to each other's faces. And that's just the white <laughs> in me, I guess. I'm allowed to do that, and I accept that. <laughs> but it's it's a it's a dynamic that i i am blessed and cursed with if if i die before you and i'm on my deathbed i'll be like d closer you know closer and then you're right within earshot of me i'll just be like you a bitch and then die <laughs> I accept that. I accept that 100%. (laughs) Would you kind of like straighten up, put your hands on your hips and be like, she got me first. (laughs) I'll dab. (laughs) Oh, 
In a, in a God-loving, God-honoring way? In a God-honoring God way, I will dab above you and be like, she went out the way she she wanted. Yeah, my soul is appeased. I won't be haunting you yet. <laughs> so so let me ask you, with, with our crises, I feel like mostly behind us at this point, you know? At this juncture. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure in the next 10 years, another one's coming. It's just how it is. Uh-huh. But what do you... Um, what do I want to ask here of maybe a crisis that you... Foresee? Foresee coming, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah good, good question. So I... You know, where I live now, I really like it. I'm happy with my current job. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it will be my job until retirement, but at this time, I feel it was a great change for my old job, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. And I think it's more like now figuring out the big stuff, meaning, so like kids, we often talked about kids, right? Uh-huh. And if I had to pick a route, I'm choosing the child-free route, not because I don't like kids. I love them. I think they're fantastic and, you mm-hmm. know, such just, like, sweet babies and everything who you can learn a lot from. Yeah. And, you know, like, they're so generous and insightful and curious. And, you know, I love all those qualities, especially because as we get older, we lose a lot of that. So yeah. I really, you know, cherish and honor kids for, you know, maintaining that. But I just don't think the having children thing is for me. Yeah, is it the the having a child bit that's getting at you of, like, physically carrying a child for nine months and then birthing them? I think that experience is really cool. The fact that, you know, we as women can grow human children. Like, yeah. what, like how cool is that? Just that's so badass. You know, I and, and then you, like, bring it out into the world. Like, how amazing and beautiful. But... Like, life with chronic health condition and stuff, I'm just like, you know what, amongst other things, it just, it's gonna be a no from me. <laughs> yeah, I I am also child-free by choice, and I, I honestly knew that I was going to be child-free by choice probably by the age of 12. Like, Okay, so you hit that early in life. I knew. I knew kids were not for me. I mm. was not. I... I was a registered babysitter in my town, and I was a very good babysitter. Like, yeah. everyone I've ever babysat for thought I did a great job, and the kids Tends to this day yeah, had, had fun with me. And I'm like, that's amazing. I'm so glad that I made a positive impact on your life. Mm-hmm. I could not have been around you 24-7 a- yeah. at all. And it is nothing to do with kids. It is everything to do with me. I cannot do it i am very short-tempered i barely take care of myself every day i am also a very (laughs) selfish person all of this probably being from the fact i'm an only child in a lot of instances and i'm the youngest child i didn't have to share didn't have to take care of other people it was just i wouldn't call you selfish though because you still are very caring with like your time energy and your uh, also a natural gift giver. Oh, thank you. <laughs> give good gifts. So I, I want everyone to know that who's listening. Shouts out to D. I I appreciate so, that. And I, I think like 
as women, we're so quick to get labeled selfish or maybe even start to identify with that word, whether it's appropriate or not. Because it's like, well, if you put yourself first, you're selfish. You're supposed to, you know, have these kids and think of the family and carry on the legacy and, you know, like, all the expectations that are just dumped on women from the moment a a girl is born. (laughs) Yeah, and I I actually... (laughs) I enjoy using the word selfish because it is in the fact of I'm doing this for me. I'm Mm -hmm. not having children because I know I wouldn't, I'm, I would not be good with it. You know, I I know that I would not be able to sacrifice enough of my time, energy, and effort to properly raise a human being. I, yeah. And I think. Time, resources, everything, emotional labor. Right. And I think that that is, to toot my own horn, amazing of me to know, to, to be able to Mm -hmm. sit here and know that I would not be a good parent. I'm a great aunt or aunt, however you people say it. Auntie. <laughs> I am great with friends. I'm great with other people's kids. You know, I would mm-hmm. never hurt a child. Right. But I know that I would not be a healthy parent for a kid. Just for the mm-hmm. sense of, I know after a, a so many years, I'd probably resent it. Yeah, fair enough. You know what? It pulls me back to the time when the pandemic first hit and people were trapped in their dwellings for, you Mm -hmm. know, weeks at a time. And how so many people, when it came time to sharing that space with their kids, with their significant other, whatever, their family in general, it became so tough. And some truths came to the surface, some lessons. Yeah. About constantly being around certain people. Absolutely. Yeah, and even to your quote on selfishness, now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, you know what? It's not so bad. There's this one singer whom I just love and adore. I think she's just such a goddess, um, Sevdaliza. And she had this one song, Human Nature. Uh-huh. And she has this bit at the end. It's like a very haunting song. And I'll just read the whole quote. It's, I am teaching you to be selfish. Let me repeat it because the word selfishness has been condemned so much that it is every possibility to misunderstand, but the word is really beautiful. To be selfish simply means to be yourself. Right. And to honor yourself and to honor who Mm -hmm. you are. And I am not a mother. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're a great plant mother. Oh, I love my plant babies. My little babies. (laughs) Um, And I know I... Like, I'm a pet parent, and I can't be a plant parent anymore because my pets will just absolutely ransack my plants. Yeah. Um. So I love when we get, like, we're proud parents discussing our kids, you, your little plants, and my me, my pets. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's how we show our mothering and our affection. I, I think there's, like, we still have that instinct because yeah. we still have empathy and we care and about, you know, the well-being of your plants, which are living things, my pets, which are obviously living things, mm-hmm. um, you know, who rely on us for that care. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, we just express that mothering in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Pets, plants, and friends. That is... Yeah, friends. <laughs> 
I, I think that childless people are needed in this world because it means that we have the time to check on either each other or the time to discover new things that can progress humanity. Yes, and, you know, just kind of walking the middle way here for people who do choose to have children, um, who choose to remain child-free. I don't think any decision is wrong. I think it's just, you know, oh, the no. reasons behind it that why why do you want to do this by, you know, having a child or children or choosing not to have them? And if it comes from a place of, like you were saying, oh, because I just can't financially commit, I can't emotionally, you know, through my temperament or whatever, do it, any and any other reasons, totally, totally respect it. And, and that's it. Yeah. And I, I too, want to make it very clear that I respect parents, you know, especially stay at home parents, mm-hmm. stay at home moms, stay at home dads, stay at home guardians. You know, you guys, you guys are really doing the work and yeah, someone has to, and it's a thankless job and I'm sure that most of you experience your own existential crises much more often than I do. And <laughs> just just know, you know, I have a lot of them in my own life. Just know that you are seen by those of us who don't have kids. And we are very mm-hmm. proud of you and all of the work that you're putting in. Because okay. we're not. <laughs> and I say that as a joke, but also with love. Yeah, yeah. So in addition to the child piece... Are there any other existential crises that you anticipate in your future? Uh, I this might go a little dark, but I'm I'm going to playfully say it. Um <laughs> fairly certain that I'm going to live longer than my spouse. And I think my next existential crisis in this life is going to be going at it alone. Okay. In the sense of not having my partner with me anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, you know, I'm not... I'm, I'm not going to cry or anything, but it is... It's not something I like to think about too much, but I also know that it is a very real possibility. Just mm-hmm. looking at both of our family's histories, my family um, is unkillable, and... <laughs> <laughs> And not to brag, but which I think is so baller. We are, uh, what do you call that? Immortal. Immortal. Not to brag. I have have multiple family members that beat cancers. I have multiple family members that have lived to triple digits. You know, it's it's not Mm -hmm. uncommon in my family line. And in my husband's line, that is very uncommon to live that long. And I'll... Various things happen, right? Advanced medical care, access to medical care, mm-hmm. health uh, options that you have throughout your life. All of this plays into how long you live, right? Mm-hmm. But also just that historically for both of our families, I'm probably going to live longer. Also, there's the whole story, not story, but um, scientific findings that women live longer than men anyways. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just... How am I going to handle that? Am I going to be still mobile in my late age? Am I going to still have my mind in my late age to mm-hmm. grasp that concept? That's probably the next crisis I'm going to uh, encounter is either living alone 
or losing my mind, which is also something that is pretty prominent in my family. I see. I mean, on the upside, that's several decades down the line. Yeah. And I, you know, don't ever wish for you to experience any of those things any sooner than that. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly the history that you and your husband have, you met your each other when you were very young yeah so and you know married for several years since i which i think is beautiful like i love both of you guys you guys are so sweet um (laughs) i want to put you in one pocket and your husband in my other pocket (laughs) and then smush you together sometimes (laughs) but (laughs) and as someone who is not married i can't begin to fathom kind of the scope and complexity of such feelings You know, especially when your day-to-day life is so closely intertwined with that of another person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's also a companionship piece in addition to, you know, this is my husband, my wife, whomever, that at the end of the day, this is my friend, or at least your spouse should be your friend, your best friend. Yeah. Not just a friend, a best friend. Besties. Besties. (laughs) For five ever, because it's more than four. (laughs) You know, so I I can't imagine what, what a change that would have to be, what an abrupt change, because the routines and everything are broken. Yeah. And that is a scary thought. I think, you know, losing anyone, but especially someone that you share a home with and have for years, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine. It's kind of funny when you think about all the times you were asked throughout your life, what is your biggest fear? Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a kid, my biggest fear was being unpopular. My biggest fear was being overweight. My biggest mm-hmm. fear was being not smart enough. And again, this just comes from life experience. But, you know, my biggest fear now really is losing people I care about and especially losing yeah. my spouse. That would be mm-hmm. devastating. Right. So it's, but like you said, that is still at least 30, 40 years down the road. That's another double my lifetime of what I've already lived. I'm sure that there are going to be plenty of adventures and time in between that, you know, it'll carry me through. But yeah. Listen, if we get to the point with technology where your husband can be preserved as a sentient head floating in a jar... (laughs) And you can just tote him around like that. I think that's still a big win. You know, (laughs) I don't even know if he would be consenting to that. I'm, I have a feeling my husband is a very tactile person. He's a very black and white person. And so I think if he was proposed the idea of being a brain in a jar, he'd go kill me, please. Like that would not be what he'd want. What if they offered him a cyborg body? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm just spitballing here. I'm like, that's pretty tactile. That's concrete. It's like, we'll put your brain and your soul or whatever makes you who you are into another body that doesn't yeah. age. <laughs> yeah, like ex machina, but a real human brain. <laughs> oh, man. Do you have any other crises existential crises that you perceive coming in the future you know i'm i'm sure like if i were to get married 
mm-hmm. you know, that means my role changes in a way, even if things stay the same, like I still work, you know, choose not to be a parent to human children. Yeah. But now it's like, I can't always think about myself. I have this other person whom I share space and time and emotion with and, mm-hmm. you know, all of the the things that come with marriage. And then whenever I retire, that's going to be an adjustment. When oh, I go yeah. through menopause, that's going to be an adjustment. Oh, fuck. I forgot about that. I like yeah, to forget about menopause. that. <laughs> yeah, the other dreaded M word, you know, <laughs> following menses. So those are kind of just the big life changes that I anticipate down the line with, I think, not exist- full-blown existential crises, but like mini crises, you know, like, yeah, if, you know, my parents were to pass away or grandparents and those kind of changes, you know, when you when friendships dissolve or yeah, for whatever reason, and you know, it's fine, people grow apart, you have different trajectories doesn't mean you don't like each other. But sometimes you just drift away, and that's that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all those, like, smaller little things, but at least those are the big ones. Same question for you. Well, no, I think, I think all of those are... Any time who you are as a person gets changed, either mm-hmm. against your will or with your will. So, you know, a spouse yeah. dies or... You graduate or start a new job in like a whole new city. These are big experiences. And again, just like how we've talked about with kids, little bodies, big emotions. Now we have big bodies, but bigger emotions. And (laughs) I wonder kind of if some of these, like you said, existential crisis wouldn't be existential if we had the means to process them better than we do yeah i think it's just a matter of acceptance yeah that especially when you live to be a certain age this is the kind of natural thing that comes along with an aging body even if you have good genes take care of yourself you know be doing everything right quote unquote (laughs) stuff happens yeah stuff happens and we're i i think if you are so rigid and don't see anything past your own nose and are so self-absorbed in that way and expect everything to adjust to you, life is going to be very difficult. Yeah. So you do what you can, treasure, and don't take for granted what you have today because this moment right here, it's not going to be the same in a few seconds, minutes, hours, years. So be happy be present, and don't sweat the small stuff. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love all of that. I don't I don't want to follow that up with anything. That's what I want to end on. That's the note I want to end on. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm making everyone witness. <laughs> witness me! Witness! <laughs> well, with, with the beautiful things that S just said, thank you everyone for listening. If you have enjoyed it thus far, leave a like, a rating, subscribe, bookmark, shout us out into the universe, and send us to your friends. Tell them that we are awesome and worth listening to. We greatly appreciate all that you do for us. And until next week, stay alive, friends. Take care, everyone. <laughs>